Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Roger Report podcast. I am Connor Bromley and today we have three special guests, including the Red and White Army. Who are here to join us? So, Andrew, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Dave, yeah, a bit hungover, but getting there. Yeah, you said you were in Keswick this weekend. Fortieth birthday bash, so uh, unfortunately missed going to the stadium light, but uh, managed to catch it on my phone in the corner of a pub with it plugged in. Fair play. And you wouldn't have had have been in Alaska to watch it either. We have VPN. That's right. I just Keswick. Yeah, let you watch it. And Gordon. Yeah, all good. I yeah. represent the former Players Association. Yeah, my army. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so involved in lots of different bits and bobs. Yeah, all good. Busy man, busy, busy man. man indeed. indeed. Uh, so, Dave, Andrew, do you want to give a bit of a background about yourselves? Not even the red and white army stuff, but you know your background, and your life story. Life. Yeah, you got a minute, Andrew. Heard this is your life. Um, yeah, Sunland supporter, basically born into it, as many of us are. Um, went to my first game, five year old. It was. What uh, was it? Go on. Well, first league game I went to was um, Sunderland against Stoke. Andy Melville scored on the right end, and we won one nil. So I was uh, it was uh, one of those where you stood at the front of the clock stand, and you've got every weather condition in ninety minutes. So snow, sleet, hail, sunshine, whatever. Um, and the weather was that bad, I didn't want to go back. But my mum was like, you know what, it can only get better from this. Um, on the field, it probably didn't, but weather conditions were all right. So yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so as a Sunderland supporter, um, saw the way things have been going with the club over recent years, real lack of communication, uh, put my head together with uh, the likes of Dave and a few others and, and came up with Red and White Army. So, yeah. So Dave, is that similar to your story? A um, bit earlier for me, a bit older. Uh, been a Sunderland fan all my life. Like, um, went to my first match in 85, so I was about uh, 11. I was 11. minus nine. Right, yeah, I was going to say I was, I was minus two. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I get it, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> and then we got stuffed off Liverpool, 3 0, but it was the class Liverpool uh, team, you know, with Daglish and that, you know. Uh, I distinctly remember it was a night match. Like when you see the floodlights and the, the greenness of the pitch and all that after coming over the back of the full round of my door. So, um, that was my first match. But uh, more recently, over the last eight or nine years now, I've uh, worked for the Football Supporters Federation um, and that was partly the route into sort of getting involved with the Red White Army as well um, and obviously being very sort of passionate about my own club and taking some of the lessons learned from working nationally with the FSF. So what do you actually do with the 
FSF? So, well, my job title's Deputy Chief Exec, uh, which, but it really involves sort of managing the office, which is in Ashbrook. Uh, we have an office in London now as well, and we have staff based in the Northwest and in Lincolnshire now as well. And so I sort of look after all the team, uh, get involved with campaigns, get involved with sort of commercial side as well, and sort of meet regularly with the Premier League, the EFL, FA, um, various other authorities. Good stuff, and Gordon, we all know about you, so I'm not going to bore everyone. Yeah, but I, I bet you don't know what my first game was. I've got no Budapest in the air, uh, I think is like what would be called the UEFA Cup now. It would be the Cup, Cup. Cup, would it? Aye. Aye, that was my first ever game under the lights, I think. it's Well, it's the one, the first one I can remember anyway, to be fair, it really sticks in my brain. Um, it was a class game, to be fair, I can't remember exactly the score, but uh, obviously it really, it was mobbed in a special night, like, yeah, so. Hooked, that hooked at that point. Hooked from then, then on in, I think, yeah. Yeah. Had to be me old man was a Sunderland fan, so you've got no choice, have you? Fair play. To be fair, my dad's not actually a Sunderland fan. No, mine isn't. Mine's a rugby man, so oh, my d- playing rugby and watching footy. Yeah, my dad's a Rangers fan, but he travelled all over the place and we just settled here and here I am. Yeah. Don't know why he right. made us support Sunderland like I could have supported Rangers. Would have been an easier <laughs> life, really. <laughs> uh, so the show is going to be like normal this week. We're not going to make any uh, special dispensation for our guests. We are going to go through the games. You're going to have to be like rogue reporters for the day. Right. Uh, give really good hot takes on what happened. You, you've got to go easy on us. It's my first time, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good job I didn't save that earlier recording there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the game itself, we're lined up 4-2-3-1. McLaughlin, Hume, Baldwin, Leuvens, Matthews, midfield, Katz, McGeoch, then Maguire, Honeyman, Gooch behind Josh Maggio up front. Paddy Madden scored a header from a corner, which is very atypical of Sunderland at the moment. Can't defend set pieces. And then we got it back. Josh Madger with actually a really good goal. If you watch the highlight back, it looks very mm. good. At the time, I thought it was a, a lucky finish. Oh. Uh, so we ended at 1-1. John McLaughlin also saved the first penalty at the stadium light for Sunderland, not in a shootout, which is a bonkers stat. And Gordon, I wanted to ask, did you play the last time it happened? Possibly. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure when it was. So It was 89, 1989. Well, was every chance tonight, to be fair. I might Tony be... Norman saved it. I don't know who played. All right. I must have done, yeah. I would think, yeah, pro- probably, yeah. Wasn't, uh, wasn't that, it wasn't in uh, 89. Mm, don't know what that is, no. <laughs> to be honest. Might have been Notts County. Might have been. Denny Hughes, no? I can't remember. I no. was um, I was probably like one and a half then, so no. Not yeah, sure, not sure if it's up my head. I wasn't even anywhere near being born, so. Just making Gordon cringe a little bit, are you? With how <laughs> young we are. Just sound really old. <laughs> 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 the old man, there's in my frame in the corner. Yeah. Uh, so, some reaction to the game. The first thing's first. How do we stop conceding goals from set players? Who wants to take that one? Well, Gordon's probably best suited, but um, he's going to be best suited for all the football. I know, really. I know. You know, me, me kick around me five aside probably doesn't really qualify as much as Gordon. But I think one of the things we we haven't had this season is a consistent centre half pairing. Um, you know, Charlton game we didn't have Baldwin in there to line up with Leuven's and Ozturk. Um Baldwin has been fantastic. He, he's he's probably been best signing out of a lot of them. But it, in terms of chopping and changing week in week out, we haven't had that consistency this season. Um, so and then you really want your, your centre halves to be the commanding ones in the box and, and your goalkeeper as well. And I just sometimes think whenever balls floated in, McLaughlin, you know, as a goalkeeper, he's he's fantastic compared to what we've had last season. Um but is he necessarily communicating? Like do, do they have the sort of um do they have the relationship between the goalkeeper and the centre halves? Um and you know, we can build it as time goes on, but when we're chopping and changing week in, week out, we haven't got that consistency right now. I think even if we did have as well, it's a 
still a relatively new squad. Yeah. And I think um, you know, at the back is where you you know you need to be really drilled and you need to be used to each other. You can get away with it a bit further up the pitch a little bit, but when you know you get exposed at the back when you're not used to playing together. So I think there was always going to be it was always going to be like that. I think. Um, so hopefully throughout the season they'll develop that understanding. What uh, Andrew was alluding to there. Do you think when you get bigger, Gordon? Do you think he needs to look at yesterday? Two <clears throat> centre backs were tall, and everyone else was a short ass really. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people have mentioned it, haven't they? At the end of the day, we have got a small squad, haven't we? But um, you know, that's what we choose to play with. You go that way, you take a little bit of a chance when when you get players against. Um, and obviously, it was to be fair, the lad knocked in a great corner before that, and I think we just managed to scramble it away. And then the second one was again another good delivery. It's just sometimes you can't do a lot, a lot about it. It was great delivery, good header. There was nobody on the back post to see, maybe something something else you could think about. But um, you know, we—it's just a trait we've had for a long time now, isn't it? It isn't just this squad; it's squads that's gone previously before. We seem to struggle in, in aerially, basically. I would say, yeah. Do you think there could be an argument when, if you put Flanagan in at fullback, one of the fullbacks, then he's tall and is almost like a centre half? Then, if you could maybe move Oviedo up to where Maguire is, I know that sounds a bit wacky. <laughs> stick with us because Maguire's been struggling recently yep. I think it's fair to say McGeady's not quite back fit you've got a defensive player there though who is good attacking but is good to have in the box for corners and then if you bring in Charlie White you've got another tall player and then defending the set pieces suddenly you've got five players there who are actually capable you know, of winning headers in the box and it not just kind of being luck yeah I, th- I think the, the ch- second half set up against Charlton when we played three at the back with the wing backs you know it, it would give us that opportunity to get a, a third big centre-half because I know Adam Matthews filled in yeah. um, against Charlton so having Flanagan in there with um, Leuven's Baldwin Ozturk's been playing alright the last couple of games um, so if we come up against a physical team stick Ozturk in there because he you know, he likes a bit of a man-to-man battle um, but yeah play three at the back and w- with your wing backs it allows as you say Oviedo to push down the wing um, gives him a bit more of a free roll um, I think you hit the nail on the head with Maguire um, his form over the last couple of games is has dropped. He, he started off really, really well, and he was he was getting attention for all the right things. Um, but yeah, Oxford game, it wasn't fantastic at all, and you know he, he sort of disappeared out of it yesterday as well. He's really poor against Stoke. We don't hear that one. Yeah, Dave, do you think Maguire's disappointing? I'm, well, I'm, disappointing <clears> at the minute. <throat> Being good overall. St- I mean, I think he set himself high standards, and yeah. he, um, he he really shone as as one of the signings when he first came in. And to me, he looks like a, a very intelligent footballer. Um, and I guess yeah, there's a little bit of a dip, but the sort of the team seems to have dipped a little bit as well, doesn't it? Uh, whether that shows how important he is to us, don't know. When he plays well, we play well, maybe. Um, but um, I've been really impressed with him, and um, yeah, it's just two last couple of games, I would say, a bit off the ball. But um, I think having Oviedo doing the defending and the attacking gives Maguire more of a free role. I, th- I think where Oviedo back on this side, I think you've got that bit more experience at the back as well yeah. and a little bit more know-how um, I don't know exactly what he's like as a communicator but hopefully he would be able to, to help marshal the defence a little bit as well and obviously we all know how good he is getting forward yeah he's a I suppose he should be a natural leader in the dressing room you know one of the higher paid players Premier League experience you would think he would be able to communicate and also kind of help somebody like Denver Hume progress you know on the training ground teaching him the things because I thought Hume was very impressive yesterday. Certainly, you could see that him and Gooch had played together a lot, you yep. know, in the system and Madger for that matter across there. He was often on the left hand side. And I thought it was quite interesting to see all of our luck kind of came down that side yesterday. Mm. 
Yeah, uh, I thought he was excellent. Uh, what I could see on my little phone in the pub in Keswick, <laughs> uh, in between pints. But I, I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was really good. He's probably one of the high points uh, from yesterday. Uh, yeah. One one of the players that sort of splits opinion. I'm going to throw this to you, Gordon. Mm. George Honeyman. Yesterday, there was people saying he was brilliant, and there was people saying that he was poor. Where, where do you sit on the George Honeyman debate? Probably somewhere in between. I mean, George is George is George. I've I've seen him a lot more over a long period of time since he's been a kid, basically. Um, and George is real hard working, honest lad who will never give you give you less than that. And I think everybody appreciates that. Uh, sometimes he, he he doesn't move the ball quick enough. He hangs onto the ball a little bit too much. But George is always going to do what he does, and, and he's you know it depends what you want out of a footballer. He's always going to give you hundred and ten percent. He never gives you less than that. He's trying his socks off. He, he produces for the goal. I wouldn't have said he was outstanding or anything like yesterday, but you know there was plenty of others in that boat as well. To be fair. What do you think of Honeyman? He's pro. I'd I'd say I'm pro at the minute. Yeah, um, he's got a very 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 good engine on him. Like he he will run for the full ninety minutes plus. Um, you know the role he's playing at the minute, that sort of central role behind the striker. You'd expect him to create a little bit more, but in terms of it being a team player, being somebody who contributes, you know, you'll get 110 percent from him. If, if if that's the minimum you get from him, you know, he's just gonna he's gonna keep going for the team. Dave? Yeah, I like him. Um, I'm not exactly sure why people get sort of down on him, really. Um, I think he's uh, he is, he's honest. He's local lad and uh, gives it all. He's like living the dream and um, he's not outstanding. He's not head and shoulders above anyone in that league. And like quite a few in our squad, he lacks the physicality, which is obviously detrimental, especially in League One. But uh, no, I like him. I thought yesterday, obviously got the assist. And the two best chances we had in the game came from his crosses. I thought yesterday, personally, what more do you want from a player who plays in their attack midfield areas? Yeah. Create your best chances. Uh, Gucci yesterday had a poorer game as well, I, I thought, anyway. It seemed to try a lot and not it never seemed to come off for him. I think one thing you get with Lyndon Gooch, um, sometimes he hangs on the ball a little bit too long. You'd like to see him move it. You know, he, he creates space. He creates a lot of space and he opens the game up a lot. Um, and you're thinking, go on, just release the ball, release the ball. And he just takes an extra touch. And that extra touch, you know, is, is detrimental sometimes. But on the flip side of it against Luton, you're thinking, oh, he's, he's hung on the ball too long and he played that cracking ball through to Madger for the goal. Um, so you can see he's, he's always trying to do things in his head. He's always trying to work an opening. Um, but, you know, regular football, Gooch didn't really play that much regular football last season. You know, he, he came in and out of the team. He didn't really have a, a good spell. So, Probably, you know, a couple of months into the season is probably the time when you start looking at Honeyman and Gooch and the likes of those players. And once you've given them a, a decent spell in the squad, um, that's when you probably start looking at them saying, well, are they doing the job? Are they not? But certainly for the time being, I think Go- Gooch has been fantastic this season. And again, as Dave was saying about Maguire, the, the sort of high standards that people have, have set early on, you know, they may struggle with the intensity of League One, they, they may need a bit extra game time um, or a bit of recovery on the flip side of it. So you think, you know, probably look at people two or three months in the season because this is the first time a lot of them have regular football. Yeah. No, no, you're right. That's I, a point certainly I've I, never thought about. I think you've got to uh, be a bit more forgiving as well of um, attacking and creative players and you've got to allow them to make those mistakes. I think Jack Ross touched on it when he first came in. It's like, you know, you, you can forgive mistakes as long as they're trying and as long as you're trying to move it quickly in the last third. It's not always going to come off. Um, I remember like sort of watching... Chris Waddle even you know and he could be a little bit frustrating um, but when he did it you know when he was on form it was class it's, it's hard to be consistent in that type of role I think um, but yeah I, I love him he's like one of them where you get up out of your seat and when he's on the ball it's, uh, he's an exciting player Lee Catamull 
good game yesterday, I thought. Certainly when he got control in the second half, we certainly looked better. He seems to be very integral to the way we're playing at the minute. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, he's been probably the biggest plus, hasn't he, since he's come back in the team. Uh, he's been excellent the last few weeks. Um, you know you know what you're getting from Lee, always have done. Um, he puts his heart and soul into it. A little bit last season, a few people said he, he might have lost his legs, but he'd had a terrible season the year before with injuries. Uh, I don't think there's any you know, doubt in his commitment uh, to the football club. He, every time he's put his shirt on, he gives his lot and he's uh, and he's playing really well at the minute. Yeah, I thought that the lad alongside him, um, McGeoch, was a little oh, bit disappointing. Well yeah, I got there in the end. Yeah, I don't know how to say that, to be honest. But <laughs> I'm not very good at Scottish. Um, <laughs> but um, I thought Katz was excellent, yeah. And he's been a massive plus coming back in and showing the right attitude. And that's all you want as a fan. And he's done that. He's been great, yeah. What, what do we all... I mean, I remember after the Luton game, I had an ill-timed bit of a Twitter rant on Lee Catamore saying, no, get rid of him. I'm sick of him. He's a liability. And then obviously the next week he scores two goals and it's all brought back to my, you know, door. Oh, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're this. I'm just happy he's scoring. I don't know where you sat on that debate at the start of the year. I, I think he wouldn't have been alone in that. And uh, I don't th- I don't think you can uh, be chastised for uh, not predicting two goals from Catamore uh, in a game. But uh, last season, I thought that's he'd be away. I thought he's... he's He's not, I, was, I thought thought he was knackered. Yeah, they, too many injuries and like that, didn't they? yeah, and I, th- I thought he couldn't really get around the pitch. And you know his game is about being tigerish and getting stuck in, and he just didn't seem to have it. Now, obviously, as a club, we're in a mess, and so how much of that you know played a part, uh, I don't know. But uh, he we would certainly be a worse squad without him now. Um, and you know, from sort of Stuart Donald's comments yesterday. Guess there might be a chance that um, if somebody comes in for him, he, he will still be away in January, possibly. Um, hopefully, by that time, McGeoch is uh, firing on all cylinders. Max Power as well. And Max Power, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Fleetwood in general, I'll talk a little bit about them. I thought they were a decent outfit. I, I was surprised to see so many big sort of name players there, like, you know, Dean Marnie. I looked at Chet Evans. They had uh, Conor McElhinney McElhinney from Evan. I am. I see. I can't pronounce that one. You can't do McGee. I can't do that one. (laughs) It had a lot of those sort of players that I was was surprised to see them at Fleetwood and I thought they were a decent outfit. Yeah, in in terms of the the play, they started off a lot like other teams have this season. They sort of, they were very intense, high pressing early on and a lot of teams sort of fade off when they play Sunderland and, and one thing that's got us back into the game recently is these teams sort of throwing everything at you for 30 minutes and then just dying off and obviously we can get back into the game and you know I've seen us win a few games and obviously draw against Oxford with 10 men um, but they sustained it throughout the game they, they had a they had a bit of a dip you know I, I thought you know contrary to what Joey Barton was saying I thought they were hanging on a little bit towards the end um, but to keep their intensity up and to, to keep those fitness levels up and were pressing us like I would two centre midfield players yesterday didn't have a lot of time on the ball at all um, and that's you know the games when we've done well this season is when you've had Max Power or Catamol having a bit of space just spray the ball around we didn't get that so I, I was actually really impressed with them uh, they were a bit of an unknown quantity for me um, you know I'm going to play a bit of League One ignorance because you know until you play them you don't necessarily pay that much attention to them um, but I was I was actually really quite surprised and especially you know Joey Barton um, I don't care much for him as a person but as a manager he seems to be doing pretty well with the team 
Fair play. What do you think, Fleetwood? Who wants to see that one? Who else wants? Well, to see? I, I, I would just want to. Yeah, I would just uh, again, obviously watching on my phone. It's not always the best way. Like, but uh, <laughs> you but, an iPad. That's what. But you it was, uh, I had just sat there with as a well, big like, iPad. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but um, the it's yeah again like quite physical in our faces. Started really well. Um, and I was a little better than I thought they were going to be and very well drilled they did sit back quite a bit as well like as soon as we had possession it was like everyone behind the ball um, but that's what's going to happen isn't it that's at the stadium like it's just, like it's been said loads of times but for a lot of clubs it's going to be their sort of like cup final Gordon what do you think of the, the general kind of competition in League One I mean you'll probably know far more than us because we're you know ill-educated seemingly on League One yeah. football <laughs> I certainly am what do you make though of the competition because I've been surprised at how after you see Scunthorpe when they were absolutely dreadful, but then some of the other teams have been like Oxford last week, first half an hour, what brilliant. You know, it yeah. seems to be quite a, an up and down sort of what teams are bringing to her. Yeah, my overall thing is like basically League One, I always say that the biggest difference is between League One and Championship. I think that's the biggest jump of all. You know, second to first is not a lot. Even, you know, championship to Premier League. A lot of the Premier League clubs are only championship clubs in, in name, really. And that's been proven probably over the last few years when clubs have gone down. But I, th- I see it is it is a big jump and there is a big difference. Um, but, yeah, teams have surprised us, haven't they? No doubt about it. And coming out of good, right good quarters. So, overall, the standards, not too bad. I don't think, uh, you know, we're scared of anybody, are we? I don't think particularly there's one team in there even now. Peterborough, good going forward. Um, you know, there's other good football inside like Luton will come and have and play football against you. But you know, overall, we should be there or thereabouts come the end of the season if if we keep our main players fit. I was looking as well. We've picked up essentially five wins from seven games because of the the draws we've had. To keep that sort of level of performance going, you will go up come the end of the season. Like it has been a good start in the sense of they are undefeated and 15 points from a possible 21 will eventually get you up and I think sometimes it's perspective isn't it it, it feels like a little bit like the bonus points at the minute because like it is a squad that's like development and emerging and, and getting used to each other so to get them points on the board early on where hopefully we're only going to get better and better must be you know Jack Ross must be over the moon with that because I, I think everybody was a little bit nervous about so many new players even though that a lot of them did have a bit more of a pre-season than in previous years when we've Throwing a lot of individuals together, but um, so I think I I think that I'm over the moon with the start, and hopefully we'll start defending better, and hopefully we'll you know look a bit more like a unit because we've we've only looked like it in patches, haven't we? We yeah. looked decent, and then we sort of revert back to being a little bit shaky. One goal conceded from open play as well, which deserves credit. It's often yeah. something overlooked because we've been so poor at set pieces, but in general, open play it's been good. I, I think um, what. What Gordon was saying earlier on there about the difference in League One, um, I, I thought, yeah, like my impression was a big drop from the Championship, and I think there's a few times where they're getting behind, where teams are getting behind us, and that feeling of his, there's a goal coming here, that um, very familiar feeling that we all have. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I thought there's a few times when I've been sort of wincing, and then they don't take the chance. I think that's been. A, a big difference as well it's the quality isn't it just Aye. like yeah. that final third quality isn't there and you see it with us you know when we went to Gillingham and beat them 4-1 we actually really only had 4 or 5 chances and put away for them so that that is the, the level of quality isn't it that's the difference yeah that, that Wimbledon game they, like when Catamol equalised Wimbledon had a couple of chances even in the 6 yard area that they just blazed over the bar and you, you're looking at it if that was a championship team they would have been goals no, yeah. no doubt about it so I think we've, we've got lucky with a few of them but um it comes down to the standard of what position we're playing, really. Yeah. 
Uh, we talked about this a little bit before, certainly I did. Um, but we've got a question here saying, is it time for Jack Ross to get ruthless with his team selection and start dropping players in favour of more physical options? Or do we stick with what we use for the most part this season? I think we, we need to build a, a strong cohesive unit. Um, as Dave said, this is a team that has undergone massive change in the summer. And it, it's not just the, the starting 11, it's that the whole footy club has undergone a massive change in the summer. So to be unbeaten going into this season, well, going where we are now unbeaten, you know, I think it's it's a fantastic achievement to to get as far as we've done with the players we've got. So I think we need to start looking forward now. I think there is a, a need for a bit more physicality in the team. Um, but where do you start chopping and changing? Um, because there aren't many players at the minute who are who are standing out as being particularly poor or, or, or off the boil. So you, you're sort of saying, well, who do you identify to bring somebody new in? Um, and when we're trying to build a, a cohesive, strong unit going forwards, I wouldn't necessarily start chopping and changing unless we have to. Um, you see with, with Max Powell's suspension the other day, um, we've had to throw McGeek in and you know we want McGeek to get up to speed because we know he's a good footballer, he's a good ball-playing footballer, but he needs more game time. So if you bring somebody in out the cold and suddenly drop them in the team, they're necessarily going to be up to the level that you need to, to hit the ground running. So on, if we can avoid chopping and changing, that's that's probably what I'd say we need to do. Anybody else got a retort to that? Are we all in agreement? Yeah, I, I think basically... Max Power is is vital to our team. I don't think he's like uh, Steven Gerrard, but he has got a bit of physicality in the middle of the park. And to add that to Catamall, um, and he can play a bit as well. So and and, and he scored goals, hasn't he? So that's that's a that's a big difference. Um, I think. Look, the the biggest thing is we've had a, we've had a great start. We've probably nicked a few points here and there where you know we we've we've got wins and we you know out of draws and the other way around, but. You can't ask for any more. I think the the biggest change has been that everybody's so happy about is the players are giving a lot, and and that's the big difference. You can see it from when you watch on the sides. The, the standard of the players isn't going to be as high as what we probably had before, but everybody's having the right go. So that's only power to the manager. At the end of the day, he's you know he's created that atmosphere, and you can see all the lads are having a right go. Um, the only thing that slightly worries me at the minute is I know that we, we when we went down, we went down to League One. We could when we went up that year, we murdered some teams in League One, and and of yet, you know, probably only what was the four-one game? Was it um, Gillingham? Yeah, Gillingham away, yeah, and Scunthorpe here, where Scunthorpe were were absolutely abysmal. To be fair, yeah. yeah, don't get me wrong, but I think they're just in the process of losing the manager and all that type of thing. So. You know, we need to do that a little bit more. We need to back the teams at home and and, and really create a you know place that, that people are going to be scared to come to in League One. And if we can do that, and I'm certain with the attacking players that we've got, we can go away from home and nick results as well. So we've got to go close, like yeah. Do you think? I mean, you talk about when we were last in the third division. There, we had a bad start that year, didn't we? It wasn't a, a great start, and then we built up. Sort yeah, of and, and obviously the, the you know the biggest difference was like we. Marco came in and did incredible, you know, and that was the big difference. If you get a striker and score 25, 30 goals, that gives you, you know, a real chance, doesn't it? Um, and and he was sensational that season. So that was the only thing I was slightly disappointed on from in the signings. I think we should have signed one more striker, to be honest. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a big man for bringing people in on loan. I like to see people sign. So we've had, we haven't done too well with the old loan signings. I know. Listen, we took a chance on Sinclair as a young lad who could possibly do it. But I'd love to have seen us brought in another permanent striker who was like part of the club and, you know, he knew he was going forward with the club. Um, so that was the one big disappointment from from the last transfer window. Um, so we'll see what happens maybe in January. 
Yeah, Sinclair's an interesting one because they can recall him in January. Like we, we, we have no. It's almost like the grabbing deal last year. We have like mm. no authority over what happens with him um, post January. Which, if he has ten goals, then that's going to be very frustrating. But the striker debate in itself is quite interesting. We've got three there. I think all three have got a good shout of being the the main striker. But who who was siding with at the minute? Do you go with Madja? He's the hot hand. He's the one scoring the goals. Or do you flip it round? I don't. I don't think you can. Yeah, you can drop Madra at the minute. I mean, I, the, he didn't have a lot more to his game yesterday. Um, but um, his goals ratio is great, isn't it? At the minute, so you, you kind of that's what he's there for, putting the bat in the net. Um, not really seen enough of White really, um, but he looks a little bit off the pace to me. Yeah, looks like he's almost. It does look like he's not playing football for a month, doesn't it? Yeah, and everyone else has. Sure, so. mm. uh, Sinclair, what do you make of him? Um, what we've seen against Charlton, you know, he, he's a, a fast player, somebody who likes a bit of a battle as well. Um, before he did his hamstring, he cut his head open and, you know, yeah. he, he's, he's not somebody who's afraid to put his body on the line, which, you know, really like the look of. He's, he's got that enthusiasm and drive. Um, what I would say is his finishing looks a little bit suspect. Um, when he's, like last season at Watford, he had quite a few clear-cut chances when he was playing, didn't take them. Um, and against Charlton, he had a, a decent opportunity which you know should have put us two one up and not left us hanging on till the the dying minutes. But um, he just he's a performer. That's what he is. He knew that Gucci was going to put that one in the last minute. He just wanted to keep rolling. <laughs> I think I think he was the, the only person that knew that was going to happen. But um, you know he's again he's he's a young player. Um, and I, I'd I'd like to see I'd like to see more of him to be honest. But where does he fit in the system? Um, you know Jack Ross likes that he's, he's three behind his his lone striker. Could he play on one of the wide areas? But then you, you're potentially going to drop somebody like Gooch, who's been performing pretty well. Um, possibly Maguire. He, he's, you know, we've, we've already touched on him, but he's had a bit of a blip. Do you, do you maybe put Sinclair in for Maguire and, and see what he can do? Um, but he's, he's certainly a player I'd like to see more of. But as, as Gordon said, he's not really our player. And he, he could end up going back in January. So do you want him banging in 10 goals and having to rely on him, like grabbing for him to leave and leaves high and dry especially if you know we've still got the high earners on the boot can we necessarily bring a striker in yeah so a, I think we're, at least we've got three different sort of strikers or haven't we like we've yeah. got Madja who's very much a fancy flick very good with the ball you know in and around his feet under his head you've got Wyke who's a tall target man who's he's a busy, battering ram basically he's a shithouse isn't he yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's just gonna he doesn't even necessarily win headers he just annoys by you know throwing himself we haven't backs. we haven't had a strike like that for a hell of a long time. Um, you know when we've been relegated the last two seasons. Billy Whitehurst. Well, the thing is, no, no one's Kevin really Kyle. bullied the centre halves. Hi, Kevin Kyle. Tori yeah. Andrew Phil. Yeah. He never yeah. bullied the centre half. <laughs> but we, we need somebody just to rough the defence up a little bit, make, make the two centre halves work a little bit more. And, and Charlie White, when he's fit, he, that's somebody who'll do it. And you know you'll get the your opposing centre halves will get knackered if they're playing up against somebody who's just intent on running into them. Um, and it'll open the game up for, for you know our more creative players to get in behind. So I like to see more of Wyke, but it depends on the opposition. It's like what we're saying about the centre halves. You know we'll have to change the centre halves depending on who we're playing because Ozturk likes his physicality. If we're up against like a Wimbledon, for example, Charlie Wyke's the sort of player that you want playing against a Wimbledon yeah. team. No, I agree. I think I think as well the defensive set pieces I, I touched on at the start. Having Wyke in is like having another centre back in them sort of positions yeah. he's going to be able to win headers in that one in early shanked in the, other, the week before that's true I'll right. <laughs> no, not mention that one that doesn't serve my point Gordon come on <laughs> I'll mute your microphone <laughs> to be honest I shouldn't be pontificating on any of this because I, I coach a kids team and we got relegated last season <laughs> and we got stuff 5-2 yesterday morning no, you got that relegation <laughs> from set pieces <laughs> you get on that training ground we actually pummeled them um, 
But uh, anyway, I'm yeah, sure. Nobody wants to hear yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> we believe you. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, a little bit about referees. Um, so I've got a question from Matt Forster asking that in the same way that players come to the stadium like for pretty much the first time, maybe the only time in their career, and they want to be a hero and they put that 110% in, do you think referees are sort of thinking the same thing? Because we've seen some interesting refereeing performances. Yesterday's referee I thought was all right, but the one last weekend wasn't... Um, Oh, the the one, one against Oxford. I think you know the the Max Power send off decision. It's it's div- it's divided opinion. Um, he was late. He was rash. You can see why the referee went for the red, and obviously the the FA sided with the referee. But you're looking for consistency from your referees. Um, and Catamol broke free in the second half and got dragged down by a lad who was already on a yellow card. You're thinking it's definitely a second yellow. Um, and you know was he evening up the the Chris Maguire? incident in the first half where he was on a book and, and kicked out you, you don't know what's going through the referee's head but certainly the, the standard of refereeing as we've dropped through the leagues the standard of refereeing dropped as we've gone through the leagues I as well I never thought I'd say it but I miss Andre Marin I mean <laughs> you're loving that like, suntan are you yeah I used to hate him he used to be the one oh yeah. it's Marin at it and now like oh I'd love a bit of Marin I'd love to have him back but the, I, I thought the referee yesterday had a, a alright you, you can't praise him too highly because you know he did let a couple of things go when you're thinking that should have been a free kick and he was very expressive when That's he was given free kicks very army wasn't he oh yeah he loved throwing he, the arm out he yeah. had a full on action when he was yeah. uh, when he was given a given a free kick um, but you know we can't complain about him too. there weren't too many instances that stick out in your mind and think actually he's done that wrong or he's done that wrong so if the referee's just sailing through without too much conversation about him then he's, he's done an alright job um, but certainly this season there's been probably more occasions where you've spoken about the referee than not. Uh, we also have a question here about starting the game slowly. So Gordon, I'm going to throw this at you. Why are we starting the game slowly? Like, what would your expert opinion be on that? <laughs> it's a difficult one, isn't it? Uh, I don't think uh, he's obviously the manager wants them to go out like that, but I think teams are coming, I think especially at home, to, 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 to stay in my light, stay in my light and, and just having a right go and they're enjoying the fact they're coming to a massive football ground that they've never played at before. It's their big day out, really. A lot of, a lot of lads that are playing against Sunderland have probably never played at, at a stadium like that before. Massively up for it, having a right go and, uh, and then die off a little bit. And I think we're probably paying for that a little bit. But as the game goes on, we're starting to gain more control as, as games are going on. So, but we've just got to be prepared. The teams are going to come and have a massive fight with us in the first 20 minutes, half an hour and be up for it and at, at our artists and they have been. Uh, and we, we've struggled to cope. How, how do you get that? Well, that's up to the manager really to sort out. He's got to be letting players know that that's, <clears throat> that's going to be the case. They're coming here today. This is their cup final. They're going to be right in our faces. They're going to be having a right go at us and getting trying to, you know, force the issue. And they have done, yeah. I noticed that we seem to warm up until, you know, five, ten minutes before kickoff. We're very late to go back in the change room. I don't know if that's maybe something, the fact that they're, you know, warming up back in, but straight back out. Well, I'm not a rest. big one on that. We used to go in the bath to warm up, to be honest. So I'm not a big one for like running around before the game, to be honest. I don't think it makes a massive difference. Um, I just think it's, you know, like I say, it's the you way like the team coming in. in the it's, it's, it's a massive game for them. You've got to understand that. Uh, and we've got to be prepared for that and haven't been a little bit, yeah. I don't want to sort of overplay the importance of this, but what I've noticed uh, this season is loads of people still coming in the ground after kickoff as well. And just in terms of the fans being up for it right from the first minute as well, it feels like it's lacked out a, li- a little, just a little bit. Um, and sort of, I know that the two things feed off each other, the performance on the pitch and the response yeah. of the fans and all that. Uh, but I think also that, that, that would, you know, that would be good if we can 
as a, as, as a fan base be right up for it right from the first minute and get that raw like what you used to get uh, but I think as fans we've been pummeled in previous years yeah, so, so you can sort of understand why it is the case uh, but I think slowly but surely we're getting that sort of raw back as well and I think that might help but isn't it class though that when we concede the first goal it's not like oh you will go again and you think we're knackered um, you still feel like we can get something from the game and and, uh, and then obviously the, the, the fans do respond and push them on which has been class because um, I think Catamol mentioned it didn't uh, to you Andrew didn't he about uh, how it's great to get that raw when we're a goal down whereas in previous yeah. seasons it's been like really the starting of a bit of booing or you know the collective shrug of shoulders as it ended up in the, in the end so uh, aye, it's a lot better now to be fair, we're not getting beat four 0 It's not Aston Villa at halftime, like which is exactly. Nice. I mean, we're not having to worry about it. even if the ball went anywhere near the eighteen-yard box, even if it was uncontested, like last season. You, you know, your, your heart will be in your mouth thinking, you know, is the goalkeeper going to deal with this? Yeah, it's, it's like they, they've swung a ball into the box. Are we going to concede? Uh, possibly. So yeah, it's it's nice seeing uh, a goalkeeper who's got hands. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and do you know what else was amazing? How good Robin Reuter was midweek, and like I wonder if that's just the fact that. He sort of it all fed together, didn't it? All the keepers were performing badly, and it just seemed to, you know, add on top of each other. And then Reuter comes in midweek and looks like a keeper. Well, he didn't look like a keeper at all. I week. think the one thing about Reuter, he was the best of a bad bunch last year, and I think there was some issues. I heard a lot of stories. I don't know if they're hundred percent right, but he did have a bad shoulder, I think, didn't he? So maybe, maybe he's uh, he's got over that fully now. Um, I didn't think he was as well. It would probably be impossible to be as bad as the other two. To be fair, that played last year, but uh, but yeah, hopefully uh, he does better this season. Um, obviously, McLaughlin's done well so far, but um, but yeah, let's hope he, he can put a bit of pressure on as well. It's always good to have competition for places, isn't it? He's he's, he's working in a positive environment now as well, and he yeah. like any of us in any job. If you if you've got a good environment around you, you perform that bit better, don't you? And maybe that it's partly to do with that as well. Gordon, why do you think Lee Camp got a chance to play for Birmingham this year curious to see it again ask David Priest this we had him in the studio yeah. and he was flabbergasted so I don't know have you got any wisdom on that no not at all no I haven't no. I mean Steele as well obviously going to a Premier League club it's uh, it's pretty amazing really they've got good agents so I must be useless to be honest <laughs> I couldn't have got them two there I'll tell you that much they've both got great moves considering how they played last season um, so he's maybe a, he's, he's, he's a hypnotist maybe he hypnotises what amazes me because they've all it's not as if anybody kind of see anybody anymore everything's there isn't it you know what I mean you can watch every game a football has ever been now you know they've got all these things and analysts and all that that watch all the games so they've got no excuses at all they've loaned so, out Stockdale as well he's went to Southend who was the the good keeper that had who's been like promoted a couple years ago yeah, I was yeah. like what are he's doing mm-hmm. ah, I don't know do you know what this is another Birmingham problem, City podcast but I just found that irritating <laughs> uh, final one on the game yesterday or oh, certainly well it's kind of looking ahead next week Oviedo's back so what do we do with Denver Hume who you know deservedly should keep his place but obviously Oviedo's class so yeah We've touched on Oviedo already in terms of what he can do further up the field and, and allowing you know Maguire to, to sort more of have a free role. I think with Oviedo, one thing you'll get from him is that obviously he'll get up and down the wing, but he causes their defenders a massive headache because when he does when he does sort of get into attacking mode, and there's that sort of free role for for Maguire for Gooch to to interchange as well. Um, it keeps their defenders guessing an awful lot. So I think you know. Yes, he can put quality balls in, but he also makes their defenders have to think a lot more as well. So, as well as Hume played, and I'd love to see more of him. Um, I think you know that it's really Oviedo's place. 
fair. All in agreement. I would agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, and I think Denver Hume just just maybe just lacking a little bit defensively just yet. He, he's good going forward, very good, good athlete. Um, but Oviedo is just a, he is a class player and probably shouldn't be. No, he's probably the only one you feel a little bit sorry for. He seems to be in a good professional and done everything right, um, and and probably deserves to be playing at a better level. Um, but he ain't, and he's playing with us. So uh, long may he come, keep doing well. You said yesterday that Kevin Ball's working with the getting academy players out on loan. That's what his role is at the minute, and then they're going to reassess. You know, get him on the coaching pitch eventually. But I wonder if Hume could actually benefit from maybe a spell in League 2 I know he looks good at the minute I don't want to necessarily say you know we don't need him but we do have fullback options it might be better for him to go out play some games come back in January and then if Oviedo goes you've got a ready-made replacement sort of waiting for you It's, it's a bit of a tricky one because on the left-hand side obviously Oviedo and James are, are decent decent left-backs so is, is Hume necessarily going to get in there or do you send him out on loan if you're just looking at left-back position you'd say you could probably afford to send him on loan but he's also filled at the Chef Wed game and yeah. a couple he filled in a right back. And I'd say right back is where we, we're quite suspect at the minute. So if he's got the adaptability, if he's as comfortable at right back as he was playing left back yesterday, which he was very left footed. Um, but if he can play right back like he can do a left back, you know, Matthews always picks up niggly injuries. He, he never really seems to have a consistent spell in the team. And Donald Love, he just seems to sort of adapt to the league he's in. He's always very consistent. Um, you don't really see him sort of like playing above the level he's always he's playing. He's just seems to be poor at Real this year. I'm well, not going to be as harsh, yeah. but it's it's one of those where going back to Denver Hume, you know, would you have Denver Hume or Donald Love if Matthews picked up an injury? You know, you'd probably say throw Hume in and see what happens because he he's not really going to be any worse than Love. Um, so that's probably the conundrum: is is do you send him on loan or? Do you fill him in at right back if we if Matthews gets another injury? The only thing is you can only send him out. I think to you know we can't send him out on loan now to the anywhere in the league. You'd have to go in non-league. So okay. know, well, they're like a national league or whatever. You know, not not really non-league, is it? But it's a decent level still. But um, but yeah, I don't think you can you can go out. On oh, I thought it might be. Uh, I suppose yeah. loan window closing thirty first. Oh, because Embleton went out on deadline day, didn't he? Yeah, 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 he did. Yeah, Molyneux's yeah. gone to Gates, said Gates which said, yeah. you know it's it. If he's getting regular football at Gator, I, th- I think that's that's going to be good for him. Started last night, no one. Yeah. It was on BT. So we're going to jump now, uh, Red and White Army stuff. We can, uh, we've done a nice 40 minutes on the game, so we're going to talk about all the uh, bureaucratic stuff to do with Sunderland and use our the head of the support as, I don't know, what, what would you call yourself? The support in- as an independent voice? supporters association. Is, yeah. yeah. Is that uh, the official? official so, yeah, yeah, like democratically structured independent supporters association I nice. suppose what we are yeah. so did you get the idea for that yourself for the football supporters federation is that where that idea kind of came partly um, and th- there's plenty of them about there's um, the FSF has uh, about 350 supporter groups affiliated or associated to them through the membership and the many of them are, are sort of democratically structured and well organised um, varying levels of sort of size and uh visibility uh, in their own areas um so yeah and, and sunland sort of didn't really have that there's been some interesting and very good groups around sunland and there's obviously the the fanzines and people like yourselves um but there wasn't sort of one overarching group that could sort of bring a lot of the different entities together um to to form a sort of cohesive voice with We've had bits of criticism uh, since we launched about um, they're not 
the voice of all fans because they're not speaking for me. Don't really mean that. We, we we can be the voice for all. It's open to all. So as long as you're a Sunderland fan, you're welcome. And that's sort of what we're getting at there. But it is to try to be like a, a conduit um, between the club and the fans. Um, it was very necessary um, when we launched in September 2017, wasn't it? September last yeah, year. Yeah, September last year. Uh, yeah. it, it was very necessary then. I think the timing was was ended up being spot on, but a bit of luck really, because it gave us a um, a real grounding with um, some interesting and tricky characters in the uh, basket case of a club at the time. Martin Bain. <laughs> <laughs> Got it in one. Um, and it meant we could establish a, a, a bit of credibility with our support base, uh, which is, you know, always takes time to do for people to understand what you're doing. Um, and then we've got, obviously, the new regime in now, um, and it's less necessary in terms of transparency um, at the minute. Who knows, will it always be like that? Uh, hopefully it will. Um, but there's a lot of stuff being talked about and a lot of transparency on through yourselves and through other fanzines and through the global press and, and on, on social media. Um, but what we want to do is try to continue to ho keep holding them to account on things. So we will have formal meetings, which will be minuted. So you've got, you know, I'm not saying hold the feet of the flames because it's a bit harsh really given, you know, how great they've, they've, they've took the, the role. Um, but that's what it's still there for. We still we still should do that as, um, and continue to do that because it'll, it'll not always be this honeymoon period. But. There's, there's always the need for that critical friend. You know, the, a lot of the guys that have come into the club, Stuart, Charlie, Juan, the massive football supporters and, and that really helps. But in terms of understanding and appreciating the, the beast that is Sunderland and the fan base and, and everything that we've got, you know, the fans need that two-way interaction. Um, and as Dave said, it needs to be structured as well. So with football, you always get ups and downs and, and obviously seeing Sunderland, we've probably seen more downs than ups. Um, we've started off really well this season, but, you know, there may be pressing issues that, that happen later in the season or in years to come that supporters say, actually, how do we get in touch with the club? How do we facilitate sitting down with the club and, and discussing these issues and, and getting them resolved? So there's always a, a need and a, and a necessity um, for an organisation like Red and White Army to exist. But I just want to preface before we we'll go ahead with loads of the questions we've got going. Uh, I have attended the odd meeting. I'm not going to say that I'm a regular because I'm not. Well, you'll see as if I was a regular, I'm not. Um, so I'm not going to claim to be an expert, but that I think will be good for this conversation because there'll be people listening to this who won't might not know who you are, won't necessarily know exactly what you do. So I think this is a good opportunity for you to sort of, you know, almost sell yourselves, I suppose. In a well, I think um, nice way. <laughs> what, what's this this season, what, what we've been about as a group is um, obviously forming relationships with the, the new owners is important. Make sure there's a bit of trust there and a bit of respect, which there has been from, from day one, really. Um, before the takeover occurred, we sort of met with Charlie uh, in the engine room, in the, now the former fire station, uh, unsurprisingly, over a few beers. Um, and um, it's, it's been good sort of building that relationship up. The difference between the previous season is that we're actually getting on and cracking on and talking about positive change and uh, influencing things. So um, one of the big things we did um, about a month or so ago was longer than that actually was launch a um, a match day experience survey, uh, and in about a week, nine thousand supporters completed it, which is is massive, um, and the club endorsed it 
and said they'd listen. So um, we've been actually spending time behind the scenes, having um, various meetings, uh, looking at things like the identity at the Stadium of Light and trying to um, look at, and well, we are looking at an artwork project, which is uh, progressing um, to bring various sort of bits of artwork around the stadium that uh, some of which will hark back to Roper Park, some of which will be our history and geography and um, some of it will be celebrating players, all that sort of stuff. So really like good stuff, like actually enjoyable rather than what it was like last season. Um, and then there's um, the meetings coming up as well, which we've got four dates set throughout the rest of this season. So that's meetings club? So this is meetings with the club that will be minuted. So we're actually... Um, at the point now where we'll be putting stuff out on social media to ask fans what they want us to to take to the meeting. Um, now that in the previous season would have been a flood of things that everyone was wanting to know about. Are we trying to sell the club, et cetera, et cetera. Now people have scratched their heads a little bit because of the transparency of the owners, but there is still things that we want to, to push it's on. It's funny that you progress. bring that up because we obviously we pull up like, pool. we put out for questions, but we'll have um, Donald on. And now it's like little gripes. Like that's the main thing you get. Like, oh, the, the speakers aren't necessarily working as well as they could yeah. be. Uh, the pints are too expensive. Obviously, there's nothing that can do about that. But it's it's so good because if we had Martin Bain in here last year, I mean, the horribleness of the questions that we would have got in would have been <laughs> so bad. Now we're in a position where it's, you know, the things are working. It's why you should exist is, you know, to put things that, I'm not going to say they're minor things, but like, the things that actually help fan experience, help fans, you know, support the club in a way that they want to do. And I suppose that's what you're trying to do, isn't it? Yeah, it's, well, it's everything from like a price of a pie through to the governance of the club. Yeah. Uh, and it's important that it's that whole gamut, really. Um, and we've, um, what we want to do is make sure as well that, you know, as well, whilst we're looking at all this, this good stuff and interesting stuff and talking to local artists and all that, it's been really good. Um, but there'll come a time when in these meetings where we want to look at, you know, how the club is being run, what what are the details of the finances. Again, he's been very transparent about that, but we want to make sure that we're hanging around watching that they're not going to mortgage up the club again and, and, and get carried away. Uh, I want you to go through like a timeline. So yeah. where this idea is formed, you know, did you have a pint one day in the pub and you're like, uh, I'll tell you what, Dave, fan group that's what i'm thinking when you're hammered at two o'clock in the morning or was it something that you know you've talked about for years and then you eventually got around to doing it i, th I think um it, it was one of those where all the stars sort of align it sounds very cliche but um i i was a i was a member of a existing supporters group um and dave was invited along in his football supporters federation capacity and that that existing group that do fantastic work um but it was trying to take that group onto the next level and the, the, I wouldn't necessarily say there was a reluctance, but there wasn't necessarily the the skill set there to take that group onto the next level. Um, and you know, my day job, I do a lot of community engagement. I do a lot of work, um, getting out, getting the message out, and, and talking to people. And my skill set, and obviously, I, I met David at the meeting, and I thought, well, you know, football supporters federations based in Sunderland, what can we do to basically take fan representation to the next level? And, you know, the the likes of the fanzines like yourselves, Love Supreme, Wise Men Say, um, we did meet in the pub and we did have a few pints and, and we started sort of brainstorming in terms of how do we get this this mechanism, this group together. Um, how long ago was that just for context? So this was, this was just after um, we'd been relegated from the Premier League. Right. But so, so it was still in the Martin Bain era. Um, but this sort of this sort of thing, this group, this 
collective coming together. It, it's been needed for for a long time in Sunderland. So you can see over the last sort of five, six, seven years, um, a real them and us culture had formed at the football club where, you know, it's a sign of 21st century football where fans are essentially punters. They're, they're just seen as people who turn up and pay the money when really, you know, fans and supporters are the one constant in any football club. They're, they're the ones who turn up, you know, if we lose, if we win, whatever the weather is, people will still turn up. But there was a real disconnect and you could feel it in the club. Um, certainly, Zealous Short was, you know, losing interest. He wasn't necessarily putting the money in. Um, David Moyes had come in and sapped all the energy out of the football club. There were no real messages that were, were coming down from the top. Um, and fans were left sort of scratching our heads saying, well, what is the plan going forward? And I think the sort of the pinnacle of that was when we've been relegated from the Premier League, um, the statement that came out from the club on when, when we've been relegated against Bournemouth was you'll hear from uh, Ellis Short and due course about what our plans are going forwards. And we were sat, you know, sort of mid to bottom of the, the championship and we were still sat there going, well, what is the plan going forwards? No one's come out from the club. No one said whether he's going to bankroll us. Even if the message coming out from the club was bad, um, it still wasn't getting to supporters. Um, so we launched, as Dave said, we launched uh, September September last year. It was the, the day of the Preston away game where we actually picked up a point away from home, which was all right. Um, but what we wanted to do, we were going to launch whether we were top of the league, bottom of the league, somewhere in between, because there had been that breakdown in communication with the club. Um, so yeah, so we, we got a few of us together and, and we started off with an interim committee um, just to basically get the group off the ground and get ourselves established and, and get into that structured dialogue with the football club. Um, but that took a hell of a long time because of a certain individual being Martin Bain. Um, how, how much do you, I know, obviously we, I'm not going to say that I like Martin Bain. I don't, I'm, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. How much of it is his fault? Like the, what happened to the club over the, the years he was in charge? How much of it was him and how much of it was his hands are tied behind his back? I think it was a it, it was a combination of a lot of things, wasn't it? I think obviously you can put Margaret Byrne in there as well. Um, you can't just blame one person. Ellis Short has obviously a lot uh, to hold his hands up for, to be honest. Um, so, you know, he was ultimately the one that brought these people in. So I suppose you could blame him because uh, they weren't fit for their jobs, were they? I mean, there's, you know, some people even, even talk to me about, you know, maybe these people should be looked at in, in a criminal court because some of the things that have gone on in the football club are not right, they they say, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of issues there and and we just wanted to make a process at the time really as well. That was the other side win. But we wanted to do it in the right way and I think we did in the end, didn't we? You know, that's that's a big decision we made and, and, and it proved right, I think. Yeah, it was great getting the likes of Gordon um, involved as well and the, the way that came about was um, the way we structured the organisation was... Uh, you have your, it's a bit boring this, but I'll just quickly go, go through on, it. Do it. I love bureaucracy. <laughs> so you have your elected officers, like every group, supporters group does, and, and any other democratic so group. So that's like does. ours, I think it's Gav, isn't it? Doesn't it? Or is it Michael Oates? Gav, yeah, so Gav's, you cut the out, yeah, out co co-opted. He's, he's the uh, Rotary Report's co opted rep. So we have like your officers that are elected. So you have your chair, your vice chairs, and secretary, and all so that. I'm chair. Your chair, yeah. and your. I'm vice chair. Your vice chair. So you're the power man. Yes. Right, well, you should have. Well, Dave's <laughs> my advisor. You know, Dave's the, the sort of advisor who, right. who feeds a lot into it. But, you know, it, I, I don't like this notion of like a, a traditional committee where you've got a chair or vice chairs or whatever. Because I've, I've talked about skill set and what, what we can all bring to the table. It's it's quite a, a sort of fluid 
committee. I don't like using the word committee, but the, the, the corporate reps make it that way because so what we did was we, we thought, well, what's all the different entities that's out there? Uh, so like the, you know you've got your the types of people who go to the match, the different demographics. So you've got senior supporters, you've got families, uh, you've got your atmosphere, your group in the south stand, uh, disabled supporters. Um, we then looked at uh, ex players, which was how Gordon got involved. Yeah. with it um, and we looked at like I say the podcasts and the fanzines and stuff and it, it, it was partly because you, you want to be as representative as possible but also just make good sense isn't it to, to get everybody yeah. together and working together on something um, without any sort of issues and, and I think that's that's worked being really lucky uh, the, the sort of people who's got involved have been class um, and our reach became very large very quickly because of the network, yeah. So if we want to say something, we've we've you know already got the hearts and minds of uh, of the podcasts and whatever, so it gets out there. Um, I mean, we're probably touching it later, but the food bank thing's an example of that. This week, that just went massive, um, and it was only launched on Monday. And do now I, it's do I touch thing. on the food bank? Yeah, you were down there in the fan zone. Yeah, I was down in the fan zone. I was I was collecting the tins, which was fantastic. Um, We've been looking to, to partner with the food bank for for a long time. Um, you know, the, the football club and the city are entwined, and when the footy club does well, city does well. Um, but there is a lot of food poverty in the city at the minute. And, and out at our recent AGM, uh, we put a motion to members to say, like, Red and White Army will partner with Sun and Food Bank. And we had Kate, who's the, the representative of the food bank, stood up and basically got across to, to our members. What the situation is in the in the city at the minute, and you know there are a lot of people. And it's not just people who who have you know benefits. It's it's people in full time occupation who are receiving low incomes who aren't making ends meet at the minute, and and they're relying on food banks. And we've seen the examples at um, Everton, Liverpool, where football clubs coming together to help the wider community really works in food bank collections. And and Newcastle's a prime example of somewhere local as well where. Uh, a group of volunteers have got together to, to do regular collections at St James's Park, and you know, for all the Newcastle supporters, there are people who live in the northeast who who are going through very similar problems as to what people in the Sunderland community are as well. So we thought it was the the right logical thing, you know, but we had to launch at the right time. Um, last season proved difficult; attendances were dropping, and there wasn't that feel good factor around the stadium. Um, however, this season we've seen really good, well. Good results on the pitch. We've got attendances of over thirty thousand on average. We thought, right, this is the time to do it. Let's launch it. Um, the Fleetwood game proved slightly problematic. We would have liked a, a lot more lead-in time in terms of getting the message out to to our fan base and our supporters. Um, but given the international break, the club weren't sure whether the game was going to be on or off because we're waiting to see whether the likes of Oviedo, Gooch. Um, Scottish lads Scottish that, yeah. lads uh, even Flanagan Northern yeah. Ireland Adam Matthews they weren't sure how many people were going to get called up so there was no guarantee that the game was going to go on um, it was sort of back end of the, the week before last when we actually knew right food bank collection is going to happen um, so yeah the Sunland food bank came down to the fan zone yesterday um, and we I tell you what we had a, f- a phenomenal collection um, there was over a ton of food was was contributed by Sunderland supporters and bucket collections on the day were in excess of eight hundred pounds as well. So as a as a as a one off event, it was fantastic. But this is something that we're looking to to keep going throughout the season. Um, and I think one thing that really sort of um, stood out for me was the the the, back, the club's backing as well. Um, 
the the club being fantastic, obviously given the space and the fan zone. Um, but I, I've been in discussions with the uh, with the academy manager Paul Reid, um, and, and he wants a lot of the the kids in the academy to get a real good grounding and an understanding about the local area. And you're not just in a, a bubble playing football. You need to appreciate where you're living and and what the issues are in that area. So we had the uh, under 18s and a handful of the under 23s volunteer to come down and help out as well. Um, and many of you might have seen on, on social media that the first team actually clubbed together and have made a cash donation as well. So, you know, talking about the, the club and the city being entwined, you, you're really seeing it by the actions of the players and the academy staff and the academy players all coming together to support the food bank. Do you think in a weird way the relegation to League One, ultimately when history historians look back on this in 10 years' time, 100 years' time, this period where it went out of League One might be the best thing that happened because it managed to get everyone back on the same page. Provided we don't get relegated again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think it's it's the the, the net the net effect of it is it is that we've got the owners that we've got now, and at the minute it all seems really positive, um, and the, there seems to be a lot of potential. So I don't think that maybe would wouldn't have happened if we hadn't went down to League One. So uh, every cloud, right? <laughs> Uh, you had a meeting last week at the club, uh, I believe on Thursday, is that correct? Uh, but that wasn't your meeting. I thought it was your meeting, but it wasn't. No, it was no. So um, what was all that about? So the, the club are looking to, to sort of roll out a, a one-club philosophy where each part of the club, um, they've all got their own part to play in in the, the bigger club entity and the bigger club unit. And uh, Red and White Army were invited down um, to, to form part of that presentation. So there was me up on stage uh, doing a presentation in front of about 400 or so. It was every member of staff. It was like from cleaners, groundsmen, through to the whole first team squad, um, youth squad and marketing team, Every everyone. Literally every part of the club was in the in the Montgomery suite. And it, it started off, uh, Charlie Meth and Tony Davison were given the, the facts and figures about the club. Um, but they wanted... Basically, they wanted a, a, a fan representative to stand up and basically get the message across to the club that um, there is more of a connection going on now. We all we're, we're all pulling in the same direction. This is our club, and we all want to take ownership in it. Um, so I, I sort of presented that, you know, as I say, the club and the city are entwined, and when when we're both when one's doing well, the other one benefits from it as as well. And I spoke really about the the, the hurt that the fans have have gone through because one thing that the the new owners have picked up on is is how raw and passionate our fan base is um, but there needs to be an appreciation you know in the last 15 years we've been relegated twice from the Premier League with the lowest points totals and we've just had back-to-back relegations and there has been a massive disconnect between the club and the supporters which you know we're trying to build bridges at the minute um, so there is a healing process that still needs to be ongoing and I think you know the pinnacle of that healing process was um, the Charlton game you know, we went one nil down within the first nine minutes, and th- there's actually really good video. Lyle Taylor scores a penalty, and you hear a ripple from the Charlton fans, but then you hear a roar from the Sunderland fans, and you're thinking, right, we are all in this together. Um, and it's one thing, you know, Red and White Army going forwards, the initiatives we want to do, we are taking ownership of, of certain elements of the club. I think it's important to see as well that um, that might sound a bit corny um, because it sounds a little bit sort of like a corporate presentation with one club and one community and all that uh, but if you were in the room um, it didn't feel like that it felt more authentic uh, so on the face of it it could look a bit like PR uh, mm. I guess it is um, PR but it did feel right like in the room um, 
you know, maybe we're all falling for it. I don't know, but it did, <laughs> it did, it did feel like that. And the the sort of everyone, like the employees, seemed to warm to it. As it went, it was a bit like weird at first. It was a little bit awkward uh, to begin with, I think. Um, but uh, actually, it was once Andrew got up, um, and when Andrew spoke, that was the first sort of applause, and that. So it was like that seemed to warm the room up a bit, and it was it got it got better. And it uh, it, it started off. It it felt quite corporate it, it felt quite a corporate presentation like the the big bosses telling the staff this, this is our vision and this is what we want to implement and to be fair it was it, it was a it was a club presenta- presentation meant for club staff um, but when I got up on stage you know I had prepared notes and I was thinking yeah yeah I'll, I'll read through them but actually the notes went in my pocket and again it sounds a bit corny it sounds a bit cliche but it made my presentation easy you know it's not it's not easy to stand up in front in front of four hundred people and and stand there by yourself with a microphone. You know, some people might freeze, but this is Sunderland Football Club, and it was it was easy to speak from the heart rather than speaking from the head, talking through facts and figures. And a lot of what came across or what came out of my mouth, um, it, it resonated with with the players, and that's where Paul Reed he, he called me afterwards, and he's like, "Look, I really want to get the academy kids involved in any initiatives you want to do." and you know, um, I think it, it, it hit a note with a few of the first team players as well. Because next thing I know, there's the food bank collection, the donation from the first team players. So, yeah, I just like to say that it makes a big difference from year gone past. Where I heard a story that Mr. Bain got in front of the same staff and told all their staff, that's the cleaners, the people that uh, do all the work, the groundwork, and all that type of thing. All the people who work on the pitches and everything. And they told them basically that it was their fault that it. As much their fault that we've gone down as a player's fault. Oh, yeah. So that's that's a <laughs> little bit yeah, of a, 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 a better story. Anyway, even if it is a little bit corporate or whatever it was, at least the guys are trying to pr- promote a positive message. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I didn't know that story, which is yeah, the, quite telling. The, the, t- the tone of the, the Martin Bain one was, we're all in this together and you're as responsible for the relegation as the players on the pitch. When when we formed Red White Army, uh, me and Andrew had two separate meetings where Martin Bain having a cuppa informal to try to suss it out and try to get him to explain that this is why you need to meet the red and white army. And uh, he was very polite, um, you know, very articulate, come across quite intelligent um, and uh, quite sort of warm, actually, first couple of meetings, but he just didn't trust him. Uh, There was just something there. And uh, he sort of tried to clear some of the supporter groups off against each other from the first meeting. But the big thing was, looking back on it, it felt like he was doing you a favour, setting up the meetings. And most clubs are like that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, And when I first met Charlie Methan, I said, look, all we want is to meet you on equal terms. Like, And actually, Charlie's response was, no, not on equal terms. You are giving up your time, you are volunteers. Uh, we should be glad that you're coming in and doing that. And he went on to say, which he said a few times about how he'd set up a supporters group at Oxford. And that's where just the general language he was using, uh, you start to realise that he get he got it and understood what we we're about. And there wasn't all this gamesmanship going on. Maybe there is. Maybe we're being completely <laughs> joked. I think the thing with Martin Bain, you, you know, as Dave said, he was quite warm and he was articulate. Lovely eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dr- skin. Dreamy eyes. But he kept he kept on coming out with a, a particular phrase when 
I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on, on this. You go for it. I've yeah. seen shithouse before. So. <laughs> he did, yeah. You, 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 knew, you knew it was bullshit when he came out with this particular phrase, which is, I'm emotionally connected to the football club. Nice. And as soon as he said that, you just thought, what a load of crap. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you, my dad's a Rangers fan. And when Martin Bain was brought in, he he like was like, oh, that is not good news. Because, I mean, he was right at Rangers when that all oh, went to shit. And... It can't be a coincidence, can it? You know, no. it can't be. He was emotionally connected to his 1.2 million pounds a year, I think. That's what he was emotionally connected to. Yeah, good luck to him, man. Yeah, it's the same as Rafa at Newcastle, actually, just bringing them out. He's six million quid if they steal. That's why he's staying there. Just as an FYI. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> just like the, yeah, there'll be no Newcastle fans. Can he board it, yeah. yeah. Um, where else are we here? Um, so, what are the aims of Red and White Army over the next 12 months? Yeah, I suppose where we're going to be at this time at the end of next season you know as I've said we, we still have to be that critical friend but because of the transparency of the new owners it, it does allow us to sort of pursue initiatives working with the club as Dave said um, getting an identity and getting a real feel to the stadium light is something that came out of the survey as one of the, the, the top things that needs looking at um, so we are looking at getting um, our work installed we've worked with the club already on this one we've identified sections of the ground where um, we'll be getting murals put up um, so we're in the process of, of basically tendering for those at the minute and we're going to get um, a bit of crowdfunding sorted out for that one because again talking about the, the one club mentality we've got to take ownership for these sort of things we can't expect the club to come along and just pay for everything so you know fans have spoken and fans have said that yet yeah, we want to create an identity and, and a real feel for the stadium so you know what let's try and get things crowdfunded and, and take our own initiative on this one um, so there's a crowdfunding side of things and and improving the uh, the sort of feel of the stadium I think um, we've recently as well had the, the green light on um, getting the South Stand name changed cool yeah so, so South Stand could literally be any footy club anywhere in the country um, and you know it's our home end and we need to give it an identity um, so we've taken the suggestions from the, the survey we're working on those at the minute and we're compiling a shortlist and I think in the coming weeks Dave that's right we, we're going to be putting a, a vote out to see what we should call the South Stand rough sort of idea is it going to be you know, former player former chairman former that, manager that, that was the overriding thing from the survey was that, uh, that everyone seemed to come back with um, the main things the area from which inspiration should be took from for the name was led club legends was, was top so might be the Gordon Armstrong end I doubt it somehow but <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was uh, like historical connections, so stuff to do with like Roper Park or even uh, like yeah, even like industry. Um, and uh, then there's a few shouts for like uh, Wee Your Mouth or Wee Your Side. Uh, so lots of interesting stuff. Uh, so it's hard to whittle it down actually. And you know what? I think we'll probably end up coming up with like five with the club that the club think either oh, they're they're all right. We'll put them out, and there'll be loads of kickback of why is this not in there yeah, or, you know 100%. so it's gonna that's definitely gonna happen but it, it's still at least it's collaboration with fans um, and they're not just naming it what they want um, ultimately the fans are gonna decide because the long list's been drawn up by fans the short list will be drawn up with the club and then fans will vote on that short list so yeah, I'm throwing my like two cents into that one I think Bob Murray deserves some recognition somewhere in the ground well you've got the Bob Murray gates haven't you yeah, gates, yeah, yeah I suppose you do have the gates I don't know I just I look at uh sort of Bob Murray's tenure at Sunderland and I think it's revisionist so you look at it and it's like he actually did a pretty sound job of everything that's there 
that is good about the club is actually from him, the academy, the stadium, the sort of I suppose even, the, even the, be- the, the beacon as well. The beacon yeah. of light's a fantastic facility. Yeah. Right. You um, can't you can't knock any of that and his legacy's there, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and uh but I, I I watched us at Rotor Park as well under and he, Bob Murray wasn't always the popular well, I, it's, it's funny that because obviously my sort of you know because of my age I look at it from essentially a textbook sense because I yeah. just read about it and I remember going when I was younger but but even the sort of relegation before Quinny and his magic carpet came yeah. along there were protests outside the yeah, Murray Gate I remember that. It's, it's, just, it's a tricky one because somebody like Bob Murray is, is divisive uh, in, in some ways and you, you sort of look at it and you know as you say Bob Murray's put the infrastructure in place to, to get us to where we well where we should be as a football club but on the flip side the Roke Park days and and you know the, when we've been relegated with a, a lost points total from the Premier League people were protesting for him to be out of the club there was the infamous moment on Premier Passions documentary oh, as well yeah. about the you know worrying <laughs> hand wringing about gold taps whilst uh, on the pitch we were you know getting relegated I've got to say though, I had a season ticket up in that Premier Concourse and the bathrooms up there are 10 times better <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm all about them taps I, got, I think, I was so I upset think from that time you've got to understand as well Bob Murray was never an early shot was he you know what I mean yeah. he wasn't a mega mega rich guy he sure. did run it frugally he didn't uh, put a lot of his own money in sort of thing um, listen he, he's done really well and, and the stuff like you said the legacy that he's left behind is amazing isn't it you know the, the ground the, the academy all that type of thing so you have to put, uh, hold your hand up and say that you did fantastic well there. On the playing side, yeah, maybe not quite as well. Yeah, he didn't put, like I say, fortunes in and back back us that way. But everything else he left behind, yeah, great. It's a shame. We nearly, nearly became a, a, a almost a super club, didn't we? Like that, that era we finished two sevens. They'd built on it, then it would have been. I yeah, think was, even now. It was second at Christmas. Oh, no. Yeah. We played Man United once, I think in February or January or February in 2001. It was first three seconds. Top of the table clash, yeah, in the Premier League. And I think that was the one where I think Andy Cole handled it and they ended up being one. Maybe drawn, I can't remember. <laughs> Not bitter or anything. Um, so... I think I, in terms of other things for the Red White Army, like... The, yeah, we, we went off track. <laughs> yeah. So naming the uh, like the South Stand would be cool, I think, to, to be involved with. Um, and um, obviously, like we want to continue working with the food banks as well, seeing on the back of the success there. Um um, but we also just want to keep expanding and keep uh, being visible and relevant and representative. And uh, we've got seven and a half thousand members now, which is pretty good going considering we, we launched, uh, you know, just a year ago. Um, and we want to just keep building on that. Um, we want to look at maybe, um, you know, having a sort of a donation part on the website just so fans can voluntarily put a few quid in a year or something just to help things, help initiatives, get some sort of materials, help, um, you know, get flags produced and things like that. Um, I mean, just daft things like for the AGM, I, I went and Sainsbury's on my way down to buy three reams of paper, <laughs> like sort of, so just, just daft stuff like that to cover costs. Cause there is, there is a few costs and uh, maybe get a few pints out of it. <laughs> but I, I think I'd like to say Red and White Army is, is the thing that like it's probably obvious which it is obvious but everybody cares you know what I mean everybody's on there loves the club and only wants to be there because of the better mother. nobody's making any money out of it nobody's doing it for any other reasons than they want to see the club improve uh, and then there is cynical people out there that you know may not think that but that is the whole I can say honestly having been at most of the meetings that the guys these two here are like amazing you know they work socks off to do all sorts of different bits and bobs and put stuff together which takes a lot of time and effort 
but they're doing it for all the right reasons. We just want our club to get better, and I, and I think it has got better. I think we'd all, you know, you know, put our hands on our heart and say it has, it has got better. And we just hope and pray that it does continue that way. There's, you know, we want to be there to be, a, you know, a critic, but we we 100. We just we want the club to get better, and that's what we're there for. All the lads that are there, and and, and women as well. There's loads of girls go as well. So, you know, it's uh, it's 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 been great. Yeah, I think. I've got a few final um, sort of I'll let you make any final points you want to make but I've got a few sort of uh, criticisms maybe the wrong word but a few sort of uh, things that I've noticed observations from, yeah observations there we are so, there you go. Uh, so the first one is when I went to the last AGM it was a, a ballot where you raised your hand and I found that very clunky yeah I didn't like it because it's very difficult to know a, it's it's just putting your hands up. I just think it's not great. But B, I think if somebody doesn't agree, but nobody, but everyone else does agree, then they're not going to put the hand up on it. And I think maybe, and this leads into the second question I've got as well, but maybe it should be either an email ballot or a written ballot. And the second one, the question I've got is, is maybe about sort of live streaming. I don't know, obviously that costs. And I know that, you know, that that's more things for you to worry about, but sort of, 200 fans were there, I think, for the, the Three, last one. 350. Or 350 were there for the last one. But you've said you've got nearly 8,000 members. So, you know, you're going to have representation. I'm not saying, obviously, not everyone can vote, but it would be quite interesting to see if you could try and, you know, build your the people who vote on the things that do matter. I think that's something that I don't know how you would necessarily do it, but to expand on I mean, I don't know if you've thought about them things. I'm sure you have. Yeah, you started off there by saying last day, Jim. That this was our first stage, yeah. you know. So there are there are lessons to be learned, and you know we we do take um, observations on board, and it is something that we thought about because there there was one motion that we passed, which was ridiculously tight. I think there was only about nine or ten votes in yes, it. That was the the. It was looking at a feasibility study in in terms of a two tiered membership um, and converting into a trust. Yeah, yeah. So I I think you know certainly. When it comes to, to voting in the future, um, there will be slightly better methods being looked at. Having said that, <laughs> um, the national organisation uh, works in a similar way, uh, that you have to be at the AGM. Um, most AGMs work like that. You can vote by proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can't make it, you can pass that pass your vote on to someone who would, and that will be taken care of next year through the registration process. But I do think, like, um, I get where you're coming from, like, because it would increase the engagement and there's loads of plus yeah. points for it. Once you start streaming stuff, people start not coming, even when they can. That's true. And you'll be streaming in an empty room or a half empty room and look like a failing organisation. Um, also, um, and I know this is, uh, you know, not great for people who live further afield and stuff like that, but up, but you, there's a lot of merit in getting looking in people's eyes and getting in a room, and that might sound a bit old-fashioned. Of course, as we established you earlier, but I, I think uh, there, there's a lot to be said for getting in a room together as well. And and I, again, I hear what you're saying about being a bit worried about putting your hand up, but I think people have to just come along and get over that. And actually, for a first AGM to get, I mean, to get that many there was great. Obviously, part of that was because. Stuart Donald was there as well, not daft. But I think we would have got about half that, which would have been incredible. I know how many people go to the National AGM. I know how many people go to other supporter groups. And that, believe me, is phenomenal. And uh, and, I, and I think we'll build on that and we'll, we'll, we'll take on suggestions. But there is a, 
there's a line to walk with the online engage when it comes to um, sort of the democratic overheads. There's an issue as well, I suppose. If you do the the email kind of ballot, what happens if mags start getting involved? You don't know if people can yeah. sort of uh, sabotage what you're trying to do. And I said that, I thought it was just an interesting to it's, sort of see your kind of view on it yeah. because when I was there, I, I felt that it would have been hard for me to maybe stick my hand up and disagree with something that was, you know, why would I be against food banks? There's no idea. I would always be for it. But you know what I mean? Somebody, for whatever reason, might be against it. Yeah. Wouldn't want to put their hands up because everyone's like, who's that dickhead over there who doesn't care for the homeless? Uh, well, <laughs> well, that's very true. Um, but I think um, there, w- there was a motion that was sort of debated, um, which was about com- the possibility of converting into a trust um, and having a tiered membership. And three or four people got up and spoke on sort of different sides of yeah. it and there was a few little murmured discussions and um, that's class that's, that's what you want obviously you want more of it um, but it's it, as a first year GM I, I was over the moon with the like the level of debate and the quality of discussion going on in the room and actually that got voted down because uh, the conversion of trust and the tiered membership because the people in the room really cared and like what I took from that was the members feel ownership of the group and that's exactly how it should be. Yeah, because that, I mean, that was why that one got turned down, isn't it? Because they people were essentially saying, you know, I don't want to have to pay to be part of this group that's meant to represent me. And I think yeah. that was essentially what it was, wasn't it? Like, yeah, you know, exactly. but, well, um, we never put that forward. No, I know you didn't. Uh, no, I just remember the, yeah, the, the conversation that, that, in the room. That's, it did sort of take on that sort of aspect when actually... There's a little bit of misunderstanding because we always want membership to be free. The idea of it was just uh, if we were to have a trust arm, they would you'd pay subs also all trusts do it. Um, so you would pay like a five or a year or whatever it might be if for the trust arm, but it would never stop you being a part of the red white army and part of the democratic structure. Things you might end up hitting on something with the sort of general donations. So I know that somebody like myself, you know, might actually put in more money than. Five pound yes. How might. much would you put? It? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna put you on the spot here now. Yeah. Sounds sounds like you're you're willing to put donation in. Yeah, I put I put a pound a month, and that's twelve quid. There we are, twelve there quid go. for the year. Sure. The thing is, what I'm saying is though, is it might actually give you a better idea of yeah. how you can because if people are seeing what you're doing and think it's you know it's positive, and they might look at the food bank stuff you've done at the weekend, might see the stuff you're doing really well, then you know your donations might actually you know kind of end up surpassing what yeah. your your trust sort of almost. Um. In terms of getting involved with my army, how would how would I right now? I'm like, yeah, I'm really passionate about something stuff, and I want to get involved. How would I get involved? How could I steal your seat? How could you steal my seat? Well, <laughs> you you could pull it from underneath us right now. But in in, in terms of the organisation, um, first of all, become a member. Um, you can do that by going on redmightarmy.co.uk. Um, we do have open meetings uh, periodically through the year. Um, and I, I would really encourage people to to go to those open meetings as well because it's it's a good forum, you know, obviously to, to sit down, discuss things, and and actually get things formed to take to the club. So the open meeting, just to clarify, open meetings they're totally different to the AGM. So your open meetings are they the things you do at say like uh, oh, I got more pub you did it in Peacock. The Peacock is yeah. it the Wise Men Say pub that they always do. I was upstairs now. It's 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 more it's informal, um, but it's there to like to make sure that we're sort of taking the temperature of you know what what yeah. the mood is with fans they were particularly important when there was the whole debate about um about protests yes. last, yeah. last season um and I'm, I'm very aware that this sort of stuff to um you sort of average match going fan might sound a bit dry and boring and a, a bit nerdy but like the meetings haven't been 
um, they've they been all right and like just just basically like being in a pub before the match where you're having a bit of crack, uh, but just with a little bit of sort of focus on things and um, we genuinely take uh, from those meetings uh, what we, we take ideas and, and issues and we take them to the club, not just in the meetings, mind. That's all supplemented by all of the online uh, discussion as mm-hmm. well through the SMB, the, the Pure Football Um and through yourselves, through ELS, Wiseman say, but also just from our Twitter feed and stuff. And it's, uh, so whenever there's a meeting coming up, our sort of Twitter feed yeah. will come alive and we'll see it, right, what's the crack? What do you want us to take the club? Right, anyway, back. I can't remember what you're saying now. Sorry. Generally, yeah, well, <laughs> basically, Dave's just jumped in, Stormy Thunder. Sorry, yeah. mate. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but no, um, we, we are very active on social media. Um, so if, if you, you wanted to steal my position, as we were discussing before, <laughs> First and foremost, become a member, get involved, um, volunteer your time. Um, you know, things like the food bank initiatives, we've got other things going forwards. You know, be a part of the Red and White Army if, if you've got the time to do so. Um, when it comes to stealing my seat, if you're inclined to do so. Um, yeah, the only reason I brought it up is because you are Democrat. We're a Democratic yeah. organisation. So um, our, our next AGM will be, uh, you know, Summer, summer. I think Andrew's getting a little year. bit worried, isn't I know, he? I, gonna I know. You're going to start running the campaign. I tell you what, the slur campaign on him. I tell you what, the the, the last year GM um, was uncontested, so so this is this is new territory for me. Actually, having someone usurping my position. Yeah, I'm not really. I don't um, have the time. <laughs> I, I, we've got Dave here. Dave signaling that he fancies doing. The other thing is, um, though, I mean, he's the vice of so you. If he just knocks you off the side, yeah, then he all jumps going in. on. I'm in. I, I'm in the smart position because uh, the book stops with Andrew. And yeah. Just sort of like, <laughs> you just yeah, blame him, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's playing the political game. But <laughs> but on a on a serious note, um, become a member, become an active volunteer, get yourselves involved. When the AGM comes around, um, because we are a democratic organisation, each one of the committee member positions, um, you can apply. Um, th- there will be sort of a candidate statement that goes out. Um, fill in those details it'll be it'll be published on our website and on our social media just so our members know who they're potentially voting for as a candidate um so yeah come the summer next year um i might not be sitting on the seat i am now but you know that's that'll be because there'll be uh, somebody who's coming forward who you know fans have voted on who who could do potentially a better job than me so we are a democratic organization so yeah, become a member, become an active part of the group. And I figured if Kevin Phillips turns up for my role, I'm not going to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely going to lose. Niall Quinn as well. Yeah, Niall Quinn on board. Yeah, I'm you're in deep doo You'll struggle. Yeah. Yeah, you'll, I think you'll do all right. Okay, yeah. thanks. <laughs> um, so is there any other sort of points you want to bring up about the Red and White Army that I've missed with my lack of research? Uh, I think just uh, we talked about like we want to expand and like get more members and you know, it'd be great if, if every Sunderland fan was a member. Um, but particularly, we'd like uh, to look for younger fans getting involved. Um, it tends to be the way of the world. These groups will naturally uh, get sort of older blokes. Do you know why? It's because younger fans, like I know myself, me 10 years ago, everything's optimistic, isn't it? It's like the club can do no wrong. I also just didn't ca- like care about this sort of stuff when I was a young and I That's just wanted true. to go the match and enjoy it. And that was it, really. And there's no more with that. Um, and it's just through the FSF stuff, it opened my eyes to what you can do and can achieve. But it would be good to have some younger fans and uh, sort of, you know, try to make it a welcoming environment for them in the meeting so they don't feel daft and they want to get involved. Uh, just so we're, we're as representative as we possibly can. Be. Did you end up getting an LGBT? Yeah, yeah, that was, did, yeah. Because yeah. I remember that was one of the ones you were talking about last at the AGM. Um, did you have one then? No, we did. I, uh, I Paul, Paul Nelson. Paul yeah. Nelson, uh, he got an 
in touch really early when, as soon as we launched um, and offered and uh, but good point about him is that he although that he's the LGBT rep he's actually just into loads of stuff that we do so he's not just banging one drum you know he's like he's, he's looking at all the different issues um, so you're not as, as a cooperative rep you're not sort of pigeonholed into just right. You can yeah. only speak about those issues. It's like you know you get involved in everything. Yeah, but- it, Paul Paul's actually sort of taking the lead on the the engagement with the club at the minute uh, for the for the artwork in the ground. So although you are a particularly cooperative rep, um, if this if you've got a passion, you know, artwork, whatever, um, then there is a there are other roles for you within the organisation. Yeah, I remember you saying at the AGM that if there's an area that you don't think's represented. Uh, you know, put yourself forward. If you think there's an area of the fan base that isn't yeah. getting represented, then yeah. you know, jump ahead. And that's, I suppose, that's the the point, isn't it? And exactly. then on on the back of the AGM, um, we've got Janice. Janice is involved yeah. now, who's our like female women's representative. Um, we had a representative looking at the the women's football club, but actually we've got Janice involved, who is is our female representative, taking all things forward. Um, sort of from that demographic of our support as well. Good. Are we all all done? Think so. Think so. Yeah. Think so good, yeah. yeah. Let you all uh, skive off and do whatever you're having to do tonight. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, I've been Connor Bromley. Thanks for coming in. Thanks yeah, for making yeah. your debut on the podcast. Thank you very much. It's your second show, isn't it? All good. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Okay. Thanks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.